0: Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. Keep up with Lisa's day-to-day problems and solutions she encounters with Outlook, third-party apps, and Office 365. The learning never ends, folks. Learn from Lisa. You're listening to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. I'm Lisa Hendrickson, your hostess, and this is show number 43. Just a reminder, you can find all my past shows and notes at callthatgirl.biz slash office365 or at call that And you can subscribe to the feed there. And you can also check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash call For those that are new to the show, I also sell six eBooks all for 49 bucks. I have a little guide to starting your computer business, a guide to remote support, which is one of the big favorites, uh, SEO for WordPress, my manual of operations, a little outdated, but still is a nice template. Social media and uh, a guide to Microsoft Exchange migrations—all well worth it if you're trying to grow or expand your business. And That's all books I've written from my past experiences, so it's all good stuff. Um, and again, those who are new to the show, I'm Lisa Hendrickson. I am on the internet as a um, Outlook expert, top ranked. That's what I do for the most part, but I also do lots of side work, which is work with Office 365 and Microsoft Exchange. Really, I do a lot more with Exchange. And um, I talk about it here on my show, my experiences, things I've done, and I try to share stories and give you guys helpful tips as they're coming out. Uh, so if you need any help, feel free to email me, Lisa, biz and i want to talk about my show sponsor and this time this week we're going to talk a little bit more about why i really love working with these guys uh, app river you can go to their website appriver.com i've been working with them for a few years now and you know when i started having to find myself a vendor there was a few reasons why i needed a vendor i don't directly want to work with microsoft and their products because i don't like being on the phone for hours as, as much as i love Being called, call that girl. I don't love being on the phone working with first-level support. So, for me, finding a vendor to have a relationship with that was a really big key thing for me was to have other people do the troubleshooting, take care of the issues, where I could just play liaison. And a few of their their high notes was they are all based in Florida. All the technicians there are in Florida. You have technicians. You got different sales reps. They have third-level engineers. And for me, I'm a partner. Now you can become a reseller or just a, like a commission partner. And if you are a reseller, you actually get to resell it and utilize their sources as backup if you need to. For me as a partner, I actually can do a sale with the client. And then if the client decides not to retain my services, they are still with AppRiver. And they could call them for support and their IT can use their support and whatever. That's the way I prefer to do my Office 365 sales, which we're going to talk about in today's show. But another thing I like is that I have a personal relationship with my reps and a lot of the techs know me by now. And it's nice to just have that feeling of comfortable. And I just love that they're 24 by 7. So if there's a problem with the client at 11 o'clock at night, my clients know that AppRiver is available. And they hopefully go to them first and then they can call me later if they need to. So that, folks, is why I love AppRiver and why I support them. And I believe that they have found uh, me to be a great sponsor because I tell the stories with them and you get to learn from it. So in the past week or so, I decided to try something on Facebook because I've been talking about that group Scott Sanders put together, the IT business owners group. And I thought, you know what the heck, I'm going to start an Office 365 group because I didn't see one out there. And uh, Scott was uh, nice enough to go out and put a uh, little blast in the IT business owners group. So within the last week, I've got almost 75 new members just from uh, me putting it out in my newsletters and from Scott putting out a little push. And so now uh, we are generating conversations and chat within technicians uh, with a technical group rather that are all based on marketing, support, sales, and just Office 365. So if you want to, uh, you can go ahead and join. I'll put the link in the show. I did happen to nab. I'm going to go look again. I happened to nab a pretty cool URL. So I'll tell it to you guys. It's facebook.com slash groups slash Microsoft Office 365. (laughs) I can't believe it was available. And the thing is, the other group called Office 365 only had 28 members and it really looked old and outdated. So I was like, winner, I'll take the, the full URL if I can. But, uh, you know, it's a closed group. You have to be invited. I pretty much approve everybody. Uh, so don't worry about not getting approved. But um, if you want to join the group and that's a little more lively discussion, uh, you know how Facebook chat is kind of fast and it gives alerts. And I really like that. It's been a lot of fun. So go ahead and join the group if you like. And another project I have that I'm working on is I'm working with Matt Rodella on a business niche project. Uh, For those that want to break out of what you're currently doing and kind of get into niche work, we're working on a webinar slash workshop. And uh, luckily, I've kind of almost secured a pretty big owner of a big business. I'm not going to say who it is. But they're going to offer uh, like 20 minutes to talk about how they started their company. And, you know, that's niche work. They started off doing one thing and then they expanded out. And as you know, from some of the other techs in our world that have done that, um, you know, they start off doing tech support and then they found something else they love. They built a product, they built something else, and now they sell it to the masses. And, you know, the, the project Matt and I are working on is not to close a business, But how to continue what you're doing and still offer niche work for yourself? That's maybe more of your passion. Like with me, I used to do tech support, everything. And eventually, throughout the years, I just started working on being an Outlook expert. And even recently, in the past couple weeks, I had a, a tech partner issue happen. And my tech partner closed their business and without going into it much, I kind of had to reevaluate really what I want to do with my business, offer tech support still or not. And my decision has been to, I'm going to get out of tech support. And I said this last summer and I got to say it again. It's just not for me. You know, it's just not where I want my business to be anymore. So I've got new partners and I've got new referral plans. And that's where Matt and I will talk about that in this show or in this webinar is how we can still generate revenue from referral partners, how to get out of what you're doing and still retain stuff. And I think it's going to be a pretty cool, um, I'm going to call it a workshop actually that we've got 10 modules and we go into pretty big detail about everything, including marketing and sales and the things that we've done. And we have many people we're interviewing. So keep your eyes open for that. That should be coming out here in the next month or so, I think. Um, And then let's see what else was I going to talk about before we jump into the jobs. Um, No, I think those are the two big ones. So anyway, this past week, boy, this last week was actually pretty awesome for me. I really loved just having a nice week um, with my tech support company closing down. I did have to figure out some stuff. And uh, I had to figure out um, what clients needed done and what they had already, you know, been doing. And the first week that happened was kind of my holy shit week. I had to figure it out fast. And then the second week was a little more calm. And, you know, I'd, I'd made some resolutions for all my clients. And uh, everybody was happy. Everything worked out. I'm very thankful that I've got nice clients that I could work with. Um, but last week was nice. It was just comfortable. It was just me. I didn't have any stress. And the jobs that were coming in were kind of interesting because... Even though I say I'm getting on tech support, well, there's some things I still have to do for Outlook and Office 365 that require some level of tech support. Like one of the big things is Chrome, I think, had an update last week where I got a few calls for that. And when Chrome updates, it can actually stop some functions in Outlook because Chrome makes itself the default. Okay? So when Chrome gets an update or you freshly install it, it'll make itself default. And then links in Outlook emails and uh, some of the features might not work until you do some little trickery, which if you go and Google it, you will see that, um, that the Chrome, well, people on the internet are actually out there saying, you know, that it's a, it's a, a browser issue. Oops, sorry. Let me grab my notes again here. Um, it's a browser issue, but here's the, here's the easy way to fix it. And this is just what I found the easy way is you go back to internet explorer and and you have to go into the options and reset IE as the default. Now you can actually just do this as a fix. You go make it a default. And if that fails, then you make Firefox the default. Something else but Chrome has to be the default. And then the link should work in Outlook again. And if not, then um, let me see one client. That actually did work. Um, but then the, thir- the second client I had to actually make Firefox the default because I had it on there. It was a really messed up deal. But then I went back to IE, made that the default, the links work. Then after that, I went to Chrome, made that the default, and the links still worked. There's just a little uh, registry thing, I believe, for the browsers that Outlook needs to just say, hey, uh, the URLs need to work somehow through IE. I don't even know what that really means, but that's the fix. So if people are calling you saying their links don't work in their Outlook, change their default browser and then mess around with it enough and then get Chrome back and it should work. Cause they, a lot of people already have Chrome. It's just something happened, an update or something. I don't know. When I ask people, did you get an update? They go, nah, maybe they never know. So I don't know either. So I just, that's what I've been doing. It's kind of funny how, when I start thinking about my tech world and what I deal with is I get things that happen in sets of two or three sometimes. And it just happens to be a pattern. Like you've noticed on my past shows, like all of a sudden one week I'll have Four huge gigantic Gmail messes. Another week I'll have four big gigantic PST files that are in deadly need of, they're dead and they need to be repaired. And uh, this week I happen to have, strangely enough, two people asked for refunds. Now it wasn't because of the work I did, it was because of work I did not do. Uh, one fellow bought a tune up last uh, fall and he never got the tune up. And I know he didn't because I checked the records and he asked for a refund. And I just always think that's funny. People want a refund, but when they could have the credit with me, you know, and I don't mind giving the guy back the money for the tune up. That's fine. Because the next time he calls me, he's going to pay my now higher rate. And that could have been a credit. Um, but, uh, he was pretty sure he didn't want the credit. And then another lady, uh, funny, (laughs) I don't know how you guys bill your clients, but I bill mine. I've changed this in the past, uh, probably year. Um, I one hour minimum, no matter what last fall, I was still nice enough to say, I'll bill you an hour and then you get credit. Okay. So you can have a credit for uh, the time left. Well, that got kind of interesting. And I didn't like that way anymore because sometimes, I don't know, I just didn't like doing it that way and I didn't feel comfortable. So I changed it to one hour no matter what. And I had a lady who had a 45-minute job, and I said, I'll give you 15-minute credit. Well, she emailed in this past week and said, I'm not going to use that 15 minutes. Can I get a refund? I said, well, first of all, no, because I do have a minimum. I do give you the credit. I can take the credit off, but then next time you call, you're going to be paying my full rate. So really, there was no choice but to leave the credit for her. I think she... (laughs) (coughs) <coughs> excuse me, I think she understood that. And I was like, keep the credit because I'm going to give it to you. And now I don't have the credit anymore. And just to let everybody know is I'm raising my rates on April 1st and I'm going to one sixty nine an hour. And so that is going to be a big, big change for me. Uh, um, in terms of how I sell things, sell my jobs, sell my prepays. Uh, I'm changing the whole, the, the whole setup because I've been wanting to change my rates, but it took me hearing a few other things for me to say my value needs to be higher for the work I do because I'm fast. um, I know the program well. I teach you a lot of things and I do a little training for each call and I just found my value is there. Um, So now when I sell a prepaid, now when I sell an hourly rate job, I'm going to tell people, you better make that hour count. And that I think is going to extend the value for me because they are going to have things that they want to do in that hour. And I mean, then the whole goal is in any sales to have an upsell. So I've always got two opportunities, the migration or a prepaid ticket. And I think, you know, I think that's just going to make it overall better business for me. But anyway, so back to the refund lady, I was like, no, no. And then I actually did have one person, uh, did want a, refund on one of the service plans I had with my old tech partner. And I told her, look, I can give you a refund. It's not a lot of money, but you better off keeping it as a credit with me. Cause I'm gonna raise my rates on April 1st to 169 an hour. And I will grandfather you into the old rates with this one. And I, I just think it's, I mean, it's so easy to give a refund, but I'm like, I kind I keep the client too. I mean, they're, they're, they're nice people. So that's my set of three things that happened this week. I thought it was strange, but uh, made it through. Um, another thing I've been seeing out there lately with Office 365 is it's I've seen it a few times now. Excel tends to be kind of funky, and it'll crash. It won't move. It won't let you float between the the columns and the cells and the rows. And so here's what I've been telling people: this is the fix that I found that works for me is to uninstall Office 365. If you can run a registry cleaner, great. It doesn't really matter. Reboot and reinstall it. The install, if Excel is funky, the ins- install went bad. And that to me is a 20, 30 minute job, but it's so worth it. Because if you, even, if you try to fix that Excel, which I have yet to fix it, um, you know, I can get very far if it breaks again. You'd rather have a good, clean uh, install of the software for all the programs. And speaking of corrupted stuff, I had another client. I feel so bad for her. Oh, my God. She bought a Windows 10 computer that was really messed up. And because it can come out of the box weird, she returned it. She'd spent two hours with me. I think I talked about this on the last show. She went and got a new computer. And because she'd already paid me and I kind of feel bad for clients when they have this problem, we kind of did a rush job on getting all the stuff set up again, which here to me is a rush job. Okay, if the client wants to talk and help, it takes a lot longer. You guys all go through this. If the client lets you just do the work, you can probably get it done in half the time. But, you know, she's me and her chatted, and and we had to talk about stuff in the first two hours. And the second time with the new computer, we just kind of quit talking. (laughs) Got it done a lot faster. And, oh, man, I felt so bad for her. She had... um, so after our second appointment where I got all the backups done and set up all her malware bytes and everything like that um OneDrive attached itself which it does all the time, right? And the OneDrive uh kidnapped her documents folder, which I'm noticing that as well. And the thing is when you go into Word and try to change the default location, it won't it won't let you. <laughs> it, it might But I'll just put it this way. I've seen it kidnap, uh, OneDrive kidnap that. And she was adamant. I do not want OneDrive. So at the time I said, let me come back to that because I might need to look into it. Well, then she said, well, look, ever since I, you helped me with the first hour, I've never got the scanner to work. Well, I'm not, you know, I was like, well, let me just try a couple things. I decided not to use the scanning software, but I went for the windows fax and scan, which is just part of windows. And lo and behold, it's scanned within a second. And of course she thought it was a genius because she would spent hours trying to get this printer scanner to work. I said, no, it's just using the old school technology. So we got that going. We got her default scan location set up. And, um, you know, everything was looking good. Um, then at the very end of the call, the very end, of course, which is, you know, how it goes people. She's like, I don't want OneDrive at all. And I'm like, okay. There was very few documents in there, so we copied them out. We, I tried to delete OneDrive the best I could. It would not let me remove it from the view in Windows Explorer, in the File Explorer. Um, you can't remove it from Office 365 because there's no uninstall option, and you just can't be like the old days when you could install software and pick and choose what programs you wanted. It's all or nothing here. So, in in my opinion, OneDrive is just part of it, no matter what and you have to work around it. So anyway, I was feeling really bad because at this point, now that she wanted that gone, I thought it would be a quick thing, not a quick thing. Finally, I felt so bad. I just wanted her to have a really nice experience compared to the first job. And I, I kind of said to her, I really wanted this to be a really good experience for you. And this is not what I expected. And I just started like almost panicking at the end. Like I just, because I wasn't going to bill her for the fourth hour. We were on a fourth hour here. And I felt bad. And I'm like, Jesus, what do I do to myself with this? I'm at the end of this job. Why am I doing this? So finally, I did a couple quick fixes for her view with the quick the quick view up in uh, the file explorer. You can change that. I got that all there. I said, okay, let this other backup happen and then let me know how it goes. Next day, she sends me an email. Uh her scan effects doesn't work. I'm like, what? Because it was attached to OneDrive somehow. I'm like, oh my god! I just want to stab myself. I'm like, why am I doing this? I hate this shit. <laughs> you know, and that's I have to take a learning lesson from this somehow. Is now I know that that stupid OneDrive is going to kidnap, and and you know maybe that's something I should work on before we do all the setup. I don't know. It's still so new to me, and it's still so frustrating because everybody's computer's different. Everybody has different setup. They have different subscriptions. And it can be very frustrating to try to figure this shit out. And I say the word shit because it is. But it's my life, and I have to figure it out. But it's very frustrating. And let me just tell you folks listening, you are not alone with this frustration. Okay. Uh, Let's see. I had another interesting a uh, call with a Gmail client who's on IMAP and, uh, they get an insane amount of email and I'm talking insane, like a thousand and five days. Okay. So it's, I know their I know their business. I know what they're doing. Um, their IMAP was not, I think I've seen this twice now, actually this week, their email was all messed up. One time they couldn't search. And when they did try to search, it wasn't bringing up all the mail. And I did all the search settings and all the stuff I do, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't working. And then I got to her computer and I tried everything. And it was not, uh, the synchronizing would not stop. She had Outlook 2016. I cleaned up all the mail. So it wasn't overloaded. I hid even the IMAP folders for all mail and important. Got rid of those. It was all done. And, uh, it still wouldn't stop synchronizing. So I knew there was a problem. I looked at the mailbox size. That matched actually what was in the computer on the, on the OST. So I knew it wasn't corrupted and all I could figure out was something was broken with the IMAP. So I went and added a new IMAP to her same profile. Didn't make her a new profile because making her new profile would have been very bad. She happened to have, um, oh goodness. I think she had like six, six folders and three of them were other email accounts I was like, no, 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 no new profile yet because that's rebuilding and that's a lot of work. So I added the new um, mailbox and it did not have that problem. But get this, folks, if you go and remove the old IMAP, you have to make sure that her calendar and contacts were not attached to it. So I backed up the calendar, with exported it to a CSV. I did the contacts. I verified that it actually matched because I was really worried. I actually backed up her auto cache also because I was worried. And at that point I said to her, okay, we fixed it by adding this other one. I'm going to go now and remove the other one. And I'm just going to let you know I backed up everything because she was kind of panicky. You know, her whole life was in that calendar. So here's the thing, guys. If you would have removed that old OST and without backing up the calendar and contacts, you could have had a big mess on your hands. So I did back it up and I did remove it. And once it was removed, the contacts and calendar were gone. So that's why you back up. So because to fix an OST file is a lot of work. It's not just work and time. It's time on that person's computer to go fix it. And you have to buy an extraction tool for 99 bucks because there's no manual way I know of to fix that OST file and get the data. So do yourself a favor, back up that contact and calendar Anytime you work on it here and work on removing accounts, especially with OST files from Gmail or AOL or whatever, because they attach themselves to this computer only, which is just a hidden file in the OST. You can't extract it if you don't do it manually. So that's my tip for that. And then I talked her into an 85 mailbox exchange migration. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I haven't won it yet, but I got to get her a quote. So I was like, "Yeah, you guys need to be on exchange, man. You guys are doing too much." And uh, I can tell you this: with how much email they get, they will blaze through that 50 gigs. But at least the server's stronger and won't have synchronizing errors and all the junk IMAP brings in, and that important folder and all that crap. That'd be gone, and I want it gone for them. And then this is my last job I had. <laughs> I can't believe this lady hired me. So apparently there's rules in outlook that have limits. Okay. So if you go to create a rule, the old theory was you could have 50 rules, but I did more research into it because this client is a rule freak. Um, and I say that in a, I think she would agree with me because she loves rules. It's not a freaky bad thing. It's a freaky thing in general. So I went and looked up a bunch of things about rules because, Apparently with office 365 exchange, there are limits to the size of the rules. uh, maybe database is called. So when you go set up rules, the, the key is to make the rule name very short. So you don't waste your space. Okay. But they said you can have pretty much unlimited rules as long as your space was under now the space was 35 or excuse me, 32. But there is some, if you go to Google this, you'll find that you can get up to 265k, which is like almost, you know, eight times that, uh, if you do something with the PowerShell, which of course you all know, I don't do PowerShell. I don't do that stuff, but Rob, our friendly Soho tech does that. Um, I wouldn't have done it. I would have asked him to, <laughs> to be fair, cause I don't like doing stuff like that. But we could have uh, logged into her Office 365 Exchange Control Panel, done a PowerShell. It would have gave her more space. But for now, um, I had her wipe out all her old rules because, oh, my God, they were broken. It was bad. And, you know, when you're in rules, if it says red, if it shows red, it's an error and you just got to change it anyway. So we started fresh. And the thing about this client is that she has like, I don't know, 100 folders and everything that comes into her inbox has to be in a rule and she had 3000 emails. So, so our first appointment was just figuring out the rules and the pro what we were going to do and set it up. And then the next two appointments we had, we actually went and created all the rules. Now her goal with hiring me was to not do all the rules, but to teach her how to be efficient and do them quickly, kind of like training. Um, and I will fill you in on the next, uh, show how that ended up, But I mean, you know, honestly, rules, I love them if there's a value. But the point is about an exchange server rule is, yeah, remember that on your phone, it follows the rule structure, you know, and you have to follow the rules. And if you have a rule on your server, it won't go to your inbox. It goes into your your folders in your phone. And I don't know how it goes on the Android, but definitely on the iPhone, you'll hear, dang, you're not going to see an email because it's in the deep folders. Um, I love rules. I actually took another rule job, um, this week for a client that had a bunch of messed up rules. And I had another client that called in about junk mail, believe it or not. Um, there's a lot of tricky things with this, uh, rules and junk mail, but the server just works awesome with them. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. And then let's see, I think I had one last one. I had a lot of calls about context too. Um, now I think... I think we're gonna be done with that. Anyway. So now this week our show is about um Office 365 sales and support. And just a reminder, I put it out I think last week or maybe the show before. Um I'm thinking about putting together a migration workshop for exchange. With that, it would be um, probably three hours in length, one hour each time. I would, I would recommend that you have to attend, not watch the recording. Um, I think for a three hour workshop, I could really make, I it so if you, if you take the workshop, you earn your money back in your first migration and there's techs out there doing migrations two or three different ways that I've heard of. Um, my way happens to be the more expensive way, but, you know, the way I do it, I also don't resell it and I don't have managed services. I'm break fix on the spot, Sally on the spot, get it done. People don't have to hire me. I'm a little more expensive for that reason, but they also get a professional grade expert migration start to finish. So I guarantee a client from the beginning to end at the end, you're done. So at that point you could buy a support ticket or whatever, but they don't have to, um, for you out there, Uh, If you're an MSP, you, of course, you'd want to do a resell and throw it into your services and add that as a, as one of your services and you manage it and do all that stuff. There's other techs that are doing break fix, uh, kind of MSP where they still want to resell it and manage it all, but they don't have big MSP, you know, enterprise going on and they're still doing it. They're kind of like in the middle, you know, they want to do what I'm doing, but yet still retain them as a monthly client or whatever they're doing. So The one thing I'm going to tell you folks, even if you're an MSP is that you have to have, um, first of all, you have to have your processes all kind of lined out on what you're doing to see your value. And I know a lot of techs are charging 75 to a hundred bucks a mailbox. And from what I've read on the forums and everything else, they're, they're doing migration whiz. And I don't know what they do in the beginning. I don't know what they do in the end for aftercare. So for me, to charge a hundred bucks a mailbox is definitely never going to happen because of all the work I do. Now remember I said, it's a difference between technicians and what work you put in. You know, if you just start collecting all their uh, stuff from the control panel and doing migration whiz and then sending them all their logins and maybe making a new profile in Outlook, that might be worth a hundred bucks. I don't know, but I just happen to do a lot more work and I feel that that's why I want to charge more. So for those of you guys that are charging that, if you want to try to up your rates, um, like I said, you know, you always want to start small with a migration, your first one, your second one, learn from them, tell your clients. We talked about this last show, tell them that you're just getting into it. And, you know, so now you ask, and I've talked about the prepaid tickets many times in the past. How do I sell them? Well, how do they work? I get a uh, text that ask me, how do you track it all? And so here's what I do in a nutshell is uh, I have one ticket and I use mHelpDesk. I just call it prepay ticket. And in the notes section, I just can keep all the notes. So you create one ticket, one invoice, and one payment. And I don't know how what ticket service you're using, but I don't have ongoing tickets. And I know there's some products that actually maybe won't allow you to do that, but that's how I do it. And so when a client calls in, I put, uh, let's say $4.99 for the invoice, $4.99 for the payment. And then the job is called prepay ticket. So every time they call, I look up the client and I go put in the notes, uh, March 26th. That's today, by the way. And I say 15 minutes password reset. Um, February 10th, they needed uh, something fixed in their outlook, 15 minutes. And the reason why I, I do this in that manner is because at the end of the ticket, the client actually might say, well, at least i like to know all the work you did before I buy another ticket. And I go, sure. Then I take that out. I put it into a word doc and I show them what their bill would have been. Okay. <laughs> That's the value is that a 15 minute call without a prepay would have been 169. So at the end, I, f- I figure out all the times I called and I said, that would have been $1,200. And they're like, Whoa. And I say, but I only billed you 499. So then they go, okay, we'll buy another one. So that's a continuing sale for you. And uh, the prepaid tickets do sell pretty well. So even if you're not doing migrations and other work uh, and you do a lot of remote support, the prepaid tickets are a nice cash flow sell. And I've talked about this in the past on other shows, but I've been trying to uh, uh, add a prepaid ticket to every exchange migration moving forward. Because, like I said, it retains the relationship with the client. They get used to working with you on the migration anyway, and it's just a nice kind of follow-up. Now, the thing is, what if you live in a small area and, uh, or not small area, but a, a smaller town, and your clients won't pay for a four or five hundred dollar ticket? Well, the other thing you could do is maybe create a two-hour support ticket. And um, how I got to my prepaid rates was to me, 499 seemed like a nice number. So you divide it by one, uh, four hours. So that, hold on, let me get my calculator out. So the 499 divide that by four hours. Oops. My rate actually is divided by four is $124 an hour with that prepay ticket. Now, according to my new rates, I'm 169. So there's a big difference there of 169 minus 124 of Already a $45 discount, you know, so the 499 is still a sweet price, but I decided, you know, that that's a good price to get the cash flow and keep those small calls in that I like. Um, if you don't have to ticket an invoice and do a credit card transaction and all the, the new ticketing things you have to do, that's why you can sell these prepaid tickets because it's just doing the job that comes in quick and easy and it's over. Okay so like I said, this show is about sales and support. Um, the sales for me come pretty easy cause I use them when I get outlook expert calls, but so let's do some recapping and then we'll close up the show. Okay. So the sales part can be inbound sales and, um, working off your current client structure of who you're already supporting and start telling them you're supporting it. And remember to fine tune your processes and your pricing before you do this. And if you're brand new to it, make sure you have a starting price for your, for the migration that is, has some flexibility for you to grow and learn from that because your rates will probably go up. Remember to use your uh, questions afterwards. And if you don't get a lot of questions afterwards, you're doing the right job. You know, you're doing a good job. Um, Like I said, I don't know who your clients are, MSP level, or uh, you're taking fresh calls like me. Or you have a client base already, but if you're not managing their email already, that's where things get a little more, you know, time and it takes more time, I think. Uh, The MSP folks already know what they're doing because they're already supporting a a hardware server and uh, they're just moving it to the cloud and they already have all that managed. But uh, so, anyway, get your processes down, get your pricing down, have some flexibility in that, Uh, work on perfection because the more you can perfect it, the better you are with the sales and the aftercare and the continued support. And that can bring on a prepaid ticket, which brings in more money. Um, let's see. What else haven't I covered here? Um, uh, this is, uh, I think I covered it all. The one thing I maybe didn't go on a little too much was reselling versus partner. But I'll tell you that the, the folks that are listening that run MSPs probably already know this stuff. And it's more just the I think the the folks that are trying to break into it that are one shop, two shop, three shop guys, or gals too. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but you know, it's it's uh if they're if you're not gonna be a resale partner and don't want to manage all that, you can definitely do the partnership with App River like I do, make it a lot easier on yourself, and then you get the backup of twenty four seven support. I don't think the resale folks want that. They want it all in house, and that's why if you're a reseller with them, you don't get that 24-7 for the client to call. You can call, but not the client. And I like it so my clients can call and it's off my plate. All right, gang, I think that is it. Uh, if you have any questions about this uh, show, you can email me, Lisa call that Um If you want to be on the wait list, if I decide to do that migration workshop, please send me an email, Lisa lisa.call.girl.biz. Um, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of people interested, so if I'm not going to see a lot of interest, I'm not going to do the workshop. I'll just tell you that. All right, gang, let's close up the show here. This has been a Heyman Hendrickson production, audio supported by Mitch Heyman. Thank you to our sponsor, Rap River, and Podbean for hosting. If you have a story you'd like to share or want to be a guest on the show, you can contact me, Lisa, at callthatgirl.biz. Don't forget to check out my ebooks at call that girl dot biz slash publications. And you can check me out on social media and I will put the links out in there for the Facebook group I just made. Thank you. See you next time.